Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And today we induct our newest member into the Three Timers Club. Is that what we've been calling it? The, the, yeah. yeah. It is our very first guest that we ever had. Number one. Number one. Um, my dear friend, Angela Curran. Welcome back, Angela. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> well, thanks for being back. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> you know, even though it's three times, it's been a while. Yeah. Because she was here season one and season two. We're in season five. Yeah. yeah. We've missed three seasons with Angela. That's right. That's unacceptable. Um, <laughs> I don't know what our problem was. How dare we? How dare we? <laughs> we haven't had anyone on more than three times yet, though. But Angela, what have you been up to since the last time we had you on? She was last on for season two, episode 20, New Plan, which we most remember for... Oh, yes. <laughs> God, last time we had you on, we were deep in the Richard Dreyfus era. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So what have you been up to since the Richard Dreyfus era? <laughs> well, I went back to school in person for the entire year. Yeah. It was a little bit of a tough year. Me too. Oh, I got Oren a car. So Oren, my, my son. Yeah. <laughs> he's been driving since September and he's 16. So wow. Mm, I started dating someone new since then. Yay. So yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. So a lot has happened, I guess, in the year. Yeah. Well, we are so happy to have you back right before we started recording. I said that I thought it was really good to have like a fan on for this one because I was like, man, this just seems like a lot of deep cuts and like like references. There's a lot of shit going down. A lot of shit going down. Yeah. So yeah, let's get to it. I, you know, I, I'm not going to put the cart before the horse, but I did feel like in this episode, nothing is going the way anyone wants it to, <laughs> which no. yeah, is you're probably right. to some degree true of every episode, but it felt pronounced in this episode. It really did. Yeah. I, I, maybe you've just articulated how I felt watching it. I felt like really nervous watching it. Like the whole time I just felt like anxious and then relieved when I remembered, oh, this isn't my life. <laughs> I, <don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> I was so invested. I was like, God, oh, I but really well played parenthood. They yeah, got you. They got me. Yeah. yeah. I was in it. Well, let's get, let's do it to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wait, this is, I, I sometimes say do it to it. And then I'll go, do it, do it, Kathy Pruitt. And you might wonder, who is Kathy Pruitt? Fuck if I know. It's the most <laughs> random thing I say. And then it makes me think of that password character that Kristen Wiig does. Because it sounds like the title of one of the Broadway musicals. Oh, yeah. I played a Southern Belle in the Broadway show, I Do Declare My Name is Declare. I played a city councilwoman in the Broadway musical, Do It, Do It, Kathy Pruitt. <laughs> While we're sharing random names that we've made up for no reason at all, I remember that I once wrote a song about a character I invented named Vicki Harris 
And it was just because it worked like with the music. And it was from a song that I think is from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Like over the closing credits, I was probably eight or nine years old. And I can't get through the song without laughing, but I'm really going to try. Mark once listened to me do this and he was like, what the hell? (laughs) And the song goes like this. Watch out for Vicky Harris. She's really dangerous. Watch out. She's a heartbreaker champion. (laughs) She's a a heartbreaker champion. Who who is Vicky Harris? Fucking find out. I just made it up. Somewhere there is a realm in which Vicky Harris and Kathy Pruitt I, our friends. <laughs> this is so random and I'm sobbing. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about parenthood. Well, listener, whoever's left, <laughs> We've I'm sorry. But today we are discussing Parenthood Season 5, Episode 9, Election Day. It was written by Jason Kadams. Directed by Lawrence Trilling, it originally aired on November 21st, 2013, and here's the TV Guide synopsis. Election Day arrives, and Christina and Adam (laughs) remain optimistic, while Jasmine and Crosby use the election as a teaching moment for Jabbar. Meanwhile, Julia and Joel work through Victor's reservations. Amber is asked to sing guide vocals for the band, and Sarah helps Hank work through a family issue. So, Election Day, this is not a title with a deep hidden meaning. Its significance is pretty obvious. It's election day. The episode begins with Jasmine and Crosby canvassing for their old pal, Christina. You're magic, Ed. Look at you. What? I cannot give these away. I don't <laughs> think I can give away a $5 bill. Oh, this is great. I'm loving this. Yeah, you're killing it. Here you go. Look for Christina. I don't want to instigate, but you're not offended by this, are you? No, why? Well, the fact that Christina and Heather sent us here, you know. I mean, you're the only black person they know and they sent you to the black neighborhood, I just think. No, why? Well, I'm kind of offended for you. I mean, Don't and I'm be. an honorary black person, so I'm a little offended. You, honey, you are very, very white. Whoa, on the spectrum, you. right, of uh-huh. black and white. Mm-hmm. Adam's here, Farrakhan's here. I'm right you? here. I'm like, well, I guess I'm if you three quarters that way, of the way too, On that right? spectrum, yes. as opposed to your brother, Thank you me. are not as white as, as you're, you're not offended, but still very then, white. Then I'm no, baby, I'm really not. I, I'm really into this. You know, elections and voting, it really means a lot to me. I mean, casting my ballot for Obama in 08 was one of the most meaningful things I've ever done. You know, like, thinking about how far we've come and that I helped to elect the first black president. I mean, I never thought that would happen in my lifetime. I mean, I know you can't really relate to that, but... Yeah, I can. Really? Totally. I don't think that was a black-white thing. I mean, it was really a profound moment. I, I got, like, yeah, when I voted, I got emotion. I, I cried. You did? Yeah, I, I, I cried. That. Yeah, like a, like a baby. You love that when you got your little sticker, Yeah, I still have it somewhere. You do? Yeah, I think so. so. Yeah. I might go on record as just saying, I think this was, in my opinion, Crosby's worst episode. <laughs> I think worse than cheating on Jasmine. I think I was angry. Whoa. I you know, it's a hot take. I couldn't stand him in this episode so maybe I should wait (laughs) until other people talk or I guess I could just you know be like but I was like honorary black person um lying that you voted for Barack Obama or that you voted at all like I think I was supposed to find all of it sort of buying a vote buying a vote (laughs) 
I, I just thought he was so entitled and privileged that I was like, I can't find this funny. I think you're a horrible person right now. And I will love him again. You know, I've, I've thought this about like Zeke and, and you know, I, I, I'm keeping it in perspective, but I was like, wow, just every time I was like, this couldn't get worse. I'm like, wow, it did. You know, I don't know. I just thought it was terrible. So, but I think it was supposed to be funny. And I'm sure in the past I did think it was funny. Did you guys think he was funny in this one? No. <laughs> I kind of did. <laughs> Good, because I want, I want, you know. But I don't disagree with anything you said. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I was just like, man, you're just like digging a hole that you don't need to dig. And I kind of did the same. Like, I don't, I don't hate him, but I'm just like, why are you saying all these things? Like, it's not even necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I oddly, the scene I just played, as cringeworthy as it was, it was weirdly, I felt like a good example of the kind of conversation I wish we had more of between Jasmine and Crosby. Because mm. like we've mentioned that they like never even mention the fact that they are of different races, except like for that very special episode, right. which I even calling it that makes it sound condescending. I actually did think that was a very special episode. If for no other reason than they talked about that, which they never talk about. Yeah. But I liked this because when I say like, oh, why don't they talk about it more? It's not that I want every episode to be a very special episode about racism between them. I just find it a little bizarre that it never comes up. Yeah. So here it was at least like, oh, well, it's something they're both acknowledging and they're relating it to what they just happened to be doing that day, which is we got sent to the black neighborhood to hand out voting things for our sister-in-law. Wouldn't you mention the fact that, oh, I wonder why they sent us here? So like that I kind of liked. I liked and I that liked, part. I'm like, yeah, use it as fodder for comedy that like Crosby is digging a hole or I, I, I liked that aspect. But yeah, it was... It's not that I liked what he was saying, though. <laughs> right. And I also, uh, kind of on the flip side, not to like be like white pride or anything, I also find the equation of lameness with whiteness very troubling as well. Yes, yeah. I think that's a bad, like, no, that doesn't, that's not progress. No, and, <laughs> and you don't get to act like if you're cool, it means you're less white. Like, I'm like, you don't know her experiences. And even when he like, felt like he had to like be part of how great it felt to vote for Obama, which by the way, I think is kind of bad enough, even if he had voted for Obama, like to be like, you know, he could say, you know what? It was a wonderful feeling to vote for him too. Cause yeah, he was like, I, I understood it was momentous, but of course it meant something different to me than it must've to you. I get that. Right. For him to be like, like, I don't think that was a black white thing. I'm like, I do. I do too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not that white people, like you say, not that it couldn't mean something to them. Yeah. It's not the same thing. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I loved voting for him. It felt like momentous to me, but I can't pretend that I would know what Jasmine felt. So that really bothered me, even if he had voted for Obama, that he couldn't let her just talk about her experiences without him having to be like, me too, me too. And then to find out that he hadn't even voted at all and never had, I, I just was like, why? yeah, like Angela said, none of this is necessary. Why not just listen to her? Why not even just admit it? Like, you know what? I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I've never voted. It's something I've totally taken for granted. It's awesome to hear you talk. It's not like I wish he had a different history. I think it's interesting that he never voted. I just wish... And believable. And believable. Yeah. I just think it would be much more interesting if they had gone another way with it. Like if you'd had to sort of be like, 
why haven't I ever voted? You know, like, why is this something that means so much to you? And it means nothing to me. I've totally taken it for granted. Like, I think that would have been fascinating. It's a waste of opportunity. That's a really good point, too. It's not endearing. I think it's supposed to be endearing. Like, oh, Crosby, the lovable screw up. No. But you're right. The way it's played, it's not like how cute that he never voted and is now lying about it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's not cute. No. So that was it for me. That's what bothered me. Yeah. Well, this is a little random, but hearing Jasmine say how meaningful it was for her to vote for Obama reminded me of someone I've brought up pretty recently on the podcast, Sherry Shepard, (laughs) former co-host of The View. And this is a little off topic, but it's my podcast, so I'm going to play it anyway. Here is Sherry Shepard. Well, here's The View the day after Obama was elected in 08. You're the only one of all of us who is undecided, undecided as of last Friday, I think you were still. I hope you decided by yesterday. Uh, you know, it's so funny. I took my son with me and he kept saying, uh, Barack Obama, we did it, we did it. <laughs> and I, I sat, I sat uh, by my son's bed and... Emotional. Uh, Don't go. Don't do it. We've always been people of color. We've always had these limitations, limitations on us. And I remember uh, somebody in my family said one time when I said, I want to be a comic and an actor. They said, no, go get a job at the post office. They don't let people like us do that. And so to look at my son and say, no limitations. On you. It's extraordinary. It it is an extraordinary day for me to be able to tell my son, you know, and these people that that died in Selma who marched for this because they had a vision and they prayed and they said, there's got to be something better. Why were you undecided until the last minute? Barbara, I do have to say, she spoke to me as a mother with a child who who has to get therapy, Palin, who has uh, needs. She spoke to me, but this spoke to me more. And I know that there are people that just died to be able to see this day. Who didn't? Just regular folks, George Lee, Reverend George Lee, Lamar Smith, Emmett Till. And so to look at my baby and go, you don't have to have limitations. It just... mm. Don't go. That is what Crosby's (laughs) co-opting. Yeah, and I find it so sincere and so beautiful and Yeah, you're right. To think that, I mean, Jasmine wasn't in tears in that moment telling him about it, but I think she was feeling something similar. Yeah. Which to hear it makes sense. And yeah, that your response to that would not be, wow, that's so wonderful. I'm so glad you shared that. But me me too. Yeah. Just as much. (laughs) Is a little like. So I guess I was more emotional than you were. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, I think for me that was like taking his sort of impishness that usually is quite charming and, and funny, and it was like pushing it to a level where I was like, mm, I, I can't, no. Nope. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, when he first goes and tries to vote, he's met by Edie, who is played by Helen Slayton Hughes, who will be known to West Wing fans as Marion Coatsworth Hay. I'm Marion Coatsworth Hay. <laughs> it's a legendary <laughs> West Wing scene in which Alice and Janney just cracks up 
after this woman introduces herself <laughs> and then tries to cover it up. I thought I've never seen West Wing. I know you're a huge fan. I haven't either. But I freaking loved Edie. I was like, who is this comedy genius? I <laughs> everything she said to Crosby. I was like, this is how people should talk to him. Like <laughs> it was great. She also has a really interesting story. She spent 40 years acting on stage, community theater, non-union work in over 200 plays and musicals when at Berkeley stage in the San Francisco Bay area, she was cast in a two-part story arc on Nash Bridges and discovered (laughs) she could actually make money as an actor. So she moved to Los Angeles at the age of 70 to try to earn more. Oh, that's amazing. Wow. I just think, go Helen. (laughs) Yeah. And she's doing it. And she's great. Yeah. Is she still alive? That's cool. She is still alive. She's 91. Awesome. Wow. Oh, I love that. Now, here's another thing that bothered me about the Crosby storyline. At least as of now, from what I found, like, on the California Secretary of State's website, you totally can register to vote day of oh, in you California. Can? Oh, no. It's called conditional voter registration, more commonly referred to as same-day voter registration. You fill out your registration and you fill out your ballot, and they don't count the ballot until the registration goes through. So it might be like one of those late counted votes, like with absentees and things. And if there's a problem with your registration, then they don't count the ballot. But presumably Crosby is not a felon or something. It would have gone through and it would have counted. So there was also just this big hole in the story for me. (laughs) That's what I thought. I should say I, I couldn't figure out like, well, maybe it was different in 2013. I don't know. So, Angela, you knew that, too? I had no idea. Well, I didn't necessarily know specifically for California, but I know, like, when I go vote, there's people that are registering there the day of because either they forgot to or they moved or they were gone or whatever. And so they just have to fill out the form and then they can vote. But, yeah, their ballot doesn't get counted until later. But I was like, why is this lady not letting him fill out, like, a... (laughs) I was too distracted by how funny she was. I wasn't even. She was funny. And I did love, I did love that he voted publicly. That, that, I agree. That was funny. But like, also like give it up at some point. But yeah, that point. Poor Jamar. Like, mommy, did you vote public or private? That's so sad. (laughs) And I wondered, do you two remember the first time you voted? I do. Yeah. Tell us about it. Okay. I was, well, I don't know. I graduated high school. So I was 17 and couldn't vote that year, whatever that election was. Bush Gore? You couldn't vote for that? I think, yeah, it was Bush Gore. So I had to wait and I was in AmeriCorps for the next election. So I had to fill out an absentee ballot and mail it back. And I was sitting at a kitchen table in Connecticut voting and mailing it in and hoping that it got there in time because I wasn't sure it was going to. So, yeah. Man, I am two years older than Angela. And so I did vote Bush Gore. That was my first one. And it will probably surprise no one that I voted for Gore. But it was interesting because I really felt like I didn't feel things as strongly as I do now 
or as strongly as like my students do. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like now maybe with social media and stuff, people have really strong political opinions at a very young age. And I knew I leaned progressive, like those were my thoughts. But it was funny. I remember doing a little research before I voted, like just to make sure. Like, I think Gore's my guy. My whole family is Democrat. <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, I think I am too. But I don't, let, let me make sure, you know. And then I looked stuff up and I'm like, oh yeah, clearly. <laughs> but it's a little embarrassing <laughs> to me that I had to like think about it, you know. Um, that's sort of interesting. And I do remember like a lot of people in my life voted for Nader and it's part of why now they're more likely to to just vote Democrat instead of because you know, like honestly, I think a lot of people my age are like Nader might be sort of part of why <laughs> you know like we had Bush you know and there were other reasons too but anyway not but I do I do remember trying to look it up and it was the only time I ever did that because I remember for every presidential election after that I felt incredibly strongly. And I was like, it's got to be this person. And so, but yeah, 18 or 19, however old I was, I, I didn't, I, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I think about how it took me my whole life to feel as strongly about things as, you know, I feel like more and more all the time, I feel more passionately about how I feel. What about yeah. you? Yeah, Caleb, you're you're like five, oh, four and a half years younger than me. Like, yeah, I turned eighteen in two thousand four, which was an election year, Bush Carey, and so I was at NYU that fall, my freshman year, and I remember my polling place was the dorm that I lived in. Oh, cool! So I just took the elevator to the first <laughs> floor and voted. That's cool. In my first election. But then I also remember as I voted for Kerry, so my first election was voting for the losing candidate. And like in that election, he actually lost, not like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I say with like a wink, but whatever. (laughs) And it did feel a little bit. I remember the next day when we were all like so bummed because I'm in New York City and. feeling like, oh, this is like a lesson, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> that I'm supposed to like learn things don't always go your way. Gosh. Although even as I'm saying this now, in the midst of our country just refusing to accept the last election, right? it actually feels like a profound lesson. It's like, um, that's kind of the bedrock of our democracy. <laughs> you yeah. make your voice heard and sometimes your voice doesn't prevail and you got to be okay with that. Anyway, not to get on a soapbox about that, but being humble in defeat is a good virtue, I think. I do remember I wore a pantsuit to vote for Hillary Clinton, and that was the one that really broke my heart. Like, I I was like, what just happened? But yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, Jasmine confronts Crosby about his voting issue with what I think is actually a pretty charitable attitude. (laughs) Yes. So you're saying you never voted, like ever? When you say it like that, it sounds very judgmental. Do you think you could rephrase it in a less I don't think I can. What more important thing were you doing other than voting for Barack Obama in 2008? I was incapacitated in Napa during that election. Napa? Napa. What happened to crying? You know, you say you cried like a baby. You 
were getting very emotional, and you were talking about your ancestors no, and wasn't. stuff, and I got sucked up into it a little bit. Mm. You were talking about the 15th Amendment no, and the wasn't. civil rights stuff. I Swipe up into it. I was trying to connect. You weren't even going to vote for your own sister-in-law. What's wrong with I you? I tried to. How? I went down there, and they would not let me. Now, I was assuming, because we live in a democracy, that I could register day up. And guess mm. what? I can't. It's not my fault. I am an upstanding citizen, and I tried. If she loses by one vote, which happens, it's your fault. <laughs> And, you know, since we just played the tape, I just want to point out to everyone, she absolutely did not mention her ancestors. No! Or the 15th Amendment. Ah. Which BT dubs, I just looked up, I was, I could tell from context clues what the 15th <laughs> Amendment probably was. But the 15th Amendment says, the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. It's amazing to me that Crosby knew that right off the top of his head. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. There's another hole in that story. He I, never voted, but he knows what the 15th Amendment was. I think what's getting me about Crosby this season, there have been several storylines where it's like reducing him to sort of like a frat boy and I feel like in previous seasons, he wasn't like he was kind of a lovable screw up in some ways, but he had like such a good heart. And I feel like this season, it's like just doing whatever it takes, sacrifice integrity of character, honestly, just for like jokes. And I think that what bums me out about that is while I like the show to be funny, and I do think it often is, I think that they've wasted opportunities to like have really interesting conflicts and, and conversation. Like, I think it would have been so much more interesting if he would have said, I was too embarrassed to tell you that I was in Napa. Like this means so much to you. Yeah. Why, why I wouldn't, I didn't want to admit that. That's, you know, like that would have been so much more interesting than him being all self-righteous about it. Like you sound very judgy. Could you say it less judgy? Like why not some self-reflection? I feel like he's better than this. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> that's a really good point because Crosby's whole arc through the series has been him maturing yeah. in all sorts of ways. And it feels like they want to see that maturation, but they also don't want to lose their comedic fodder. Mm -hmm. But then it also almost requires them to like retroactively demature him to just invent a word. Yeah. <laughs> it, like it feels like going against the character a little bit. Yeah. My only thought on that is maybe they did it because the entire episode is so serious mm. in every other aspect. They couldn't figure out how to add the humor in anywhere else. So they kind of had to give it to him. But I still think like there's some stuff that was super funny that they could have had in there like the voting public yeah but still had him be a little more humble and like apologetic rather than just be he's a jerk yeah, yeah. <laughs> i will say with some embarrassment here's my voting confession i have never voted in a non-presidential election oh wow that's interesting and i feel bad about that I'm unaffiliated officially, so I can't vote in primaries mm -hmm. in the state of New York. But, like, I've never voted for mayor, even, wow. of New York City. And I just always feel like, oh, I'll just wait for the big one. But that's not good. I think voting is important. Do you think it's partly because you live in such a huge city 
like like when I lived in Pittsburgh and now that I live in Lawrence, like I'm very invested in who's on the school board as a teacher, you know, for example. And I do really care who's mayor and, you know, governor. Like, I mean, it really matters. And in Kansas, I feel like I'm trying to like be a blue vote as often as I can. Do you think like with you, you just maybe almost feel drowned out by how many people there are or do you think or no? I think it's mostly laziness. Mm, I just That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I'll wait for the ones that feel really big. And when it's a presidential election, then I'll vote for everything that's on that ballot. Yeah. So I have voted for things besides president, but not unless there was also a president on the ballot. Yeah. I just, yeah, I wondered, like, I usually live in a small community where it feels, like, really, like... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I that was why that was my question. Because I desperately want a good school board. <laughs> it's going to directly affect my students and me and stuff like that. Anyway. Well, Crosby bought his vote from a familiar face. I knew it. Welcome back. Kooky Grass. <laughs> Angela, I don't know if you know what we're talking about, but this actor is Gooky Grass. That's his real name. <laughs> That's his name. <laughs> and he has been on, is this his fourth time? I think it's his fourth time. He's always a different Ooh. character. Um, really? Yeah, he played Santa Claus last <laughs> yeah. season. Jeff Wormley, he was a donor to Bob Little's city council campaign. In season three. And then in season two, Christina tried to get him to not put fire in the front yard oh. on Halloween and instead use one of the glow stick things. Uh, yeah, I so, remember that. Yeah, really important characters. <laughs> the bedrock of the show. No, I don't know why he keeps coming back as different people. They must just love him. Yeah. I mean, and he's always good. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm not objecting to Googie's <laughs> performances. It's just such a strange little Easter egg. Yeah. He was really That's funny great. in this one. I really liked him. He had some good logic, though. He he really did have, like, you know, two votes in it yeah. in that yeah. situation. That's right. <laughs> Do you think he really voted for Christina? I wasn't sure. I don't I, think he did. <laughs> oh, no. I think he, Crosby should have made him take a picture and then given him the money. But whatever. He committed election fraud. Yeah. He did. Well, I just looked it up. Melissa, you're right. This was his fourth appearance. And listeners, oh no, there's only one left. Oh, there is still one left. There's one more. Exciting to be had. Five times. So keep your eyes peeled. Wow, crazy. All right. Well, pivoting a little bit to the election beyond Crosby's irresponsibility, <laughs> I wondered a little bit in that montage of Christina meeting people if the show had missed some opportunities to make this plot line more interesting. They really mined her campaign for the family drama of like, does Adam really believe in her? Is this good for her to be doing so soon after cancer? But they didn't show her meeting with constituents yeah. or prospective voters. And I think if I were to run for office, I feel like what would stick with me would be the random people I meet and the random stories I hear. We get one snippet of it with Caroline from the debate and her daughter at the end. Yeah. And then like that woman on the street who's like, I'm voting for you. I'm five months pregnant. And I, and I thought... I could have done with more of this, honestly, if, I don't know. Do you agree at all? I I do, but also 
that whole montage struck me as funny in a way that I don't think it was supposed to. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, like, yeah. why is she at the meat counter? Like, <laughs> yes, that was the one that got me. I'm like, is this going to help you become mayor? <laughs> like serving people meat? Like it was very strange. She just lost the vegan vote. <laughs> Which in Berkeley is probably pretty big. Say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know, like, for some reason, it never felt like less of a believable storyline to me than when she's just like, hi, I'm Christina, I'm serving you meat, and I'm like, kiss some babies, and I'm like, you know, it felt like mostly not very realistic, I think, and I, I think there could have been a montage that struck me as more realistic, like visiting schools, <laughs> you know, like, that's her whole thing, is yeah. education, like, I was like, why is she doing these things? Like, I don't know. I just, I felt like it was somebody who was just guessing what a person might do. <laughs> well, and maybe you're getting to it, you know, as I've mentioned before, I find expertise to be a huge turn on. That makes it sound sexual, which it often is, but it's not <laughs> just that. You know, they have established that Christina has a history of working on campaigns, that she knows politics, that she's not a novice. She's a novice as a candidate, but not to the whole world. Right. I think maybe what I'm expressing is a desire to have seen her be better at this. Mm -hmm. They they really yeah. played up the in over her head aspect. But why didn't they ever play up that she knows how to do this? She knows what she would tell someone if she were Heather. Yeah. Let's see her pivot from that position to the person out front. Let's see her prepare for an event. Let's see her know why it's important and why a certain event might help her or hurt her. I, I don't know. It just, in a way, I feel like they sort of sold her short yeah. on her expertise. I agree. Because there maybe is greater stakes in, oh my gosh, I've never done this before. When I think it might be actually more compelling to be like, I've never done this specific thing before, but this is my world and I know it. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I have said before that when I have watched this series previously, I thought they exaggerated the significance of Christina and Gwen's friendship. Mm -hmm. Like they made it out that they were these like best friends. I'm like, isn't Gwen in like four episodes? But I have to say her appearance really packed a punch for me. Christina. Thank you. Look who showed up. Hey. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Hi, honey. How are you? You look good. Thank you. You know, you could have voted absentee, you ding-dong. You didn't have to come all the way out here. And miss all this? No way. No way. You know, there's a good chance that I might lose this election, so. Honey, you've already won. I'm so proud of you. So proud of you. Thank you. Yeah. Let's go vote. Thank you. Oh, is it a problem that I'm going to vote for Bob Little? <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh out loud. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. I loved that scene and this time around i really bought into their friendship i i didn't i don't know why like i just was like yeah she may not it's not a lot of quality or it's not a lot of quantity as far as you know number of episodes but i feel like it's quality every time so i i put that in my notes i wrote every time she appears in an episode she makes a big impact yeah and i think they must know that it feels like she is well deployed <laughs> for effect yeah 
I don't know. I thought that really added something to that storyline. Yeah. Especially on election day. Because the actual, like, concession speech and, like, oh, it didn't work out, that was not as, like, dramatic as I thought it would be. And I don't even know that that's a problem for me. Like, I sort of like that she and Adam kind of laughed, like, when she was like, we're going to lose, look at Heather. And he's like, I think that's indigestion. And then they sort of (laughs) laugh. I sort of like that it wasn't, like hit the dramatic music and she starts sobbing or something like, you know, well, I tried. It was a long shot. I I sort of like that. But putting Gwen in there did make it feel, I think, like bigger. Yeah. You know, I wasn't all that phased by Christina's loss either, but it made me realize something that I think might have been a fundamental flaw with the storyline. Because I remember, you know, we said from previous watches, this felt like one of the craziest storylines. Like, oh, my God, she's running for mayor. What? But then this time, trying to give it a fair chance and that it didn't seem as out of left field as it had previously. But now that it's sort of done, I think I would say I I still don't think it's a very successful story arc. And here's my latest theory why. Okay. I'm not sure I ever thought she would actually win. Mm. Because if she had, it would have been such a huge change in the tone of the show, that this family drama was now going to have one of its characters be the mayor of the town that they're in? Like, how can you not have her storylines then largely be about her job and the things she's dealing with? So now this family drama is going to be partly a political drama too, and maybe they could have made it work, but it just seemed like, no, the show's not going to go in that direction. But if you feel confident of how a storyline is going to turn out, and then it does turn out that way, it's like, well, how invested were you ever? I didn't really care at all (laughs) that she didn't win. (laughs) Like, I just, like, I think the most impactful parts of that episode for her storyline were Adam saying that he supported her and didn't think that you know, at first he really didn't think that she could do it, but he was proud of her. And then the part where like the people that she cared about were supporting her, but the rest, like, yeah, I just don't feel like, I don't know. I wasn't like rooting for her to win at all. And maybe, maybe that's because of what Caleb said. Like she couldn't win. Maybe if she had won, they, it just would have changed the fabric of her storyline and maybe even Adams for the rest of the series that's interesting i mean in a way it's sort of like the episode where she almost died yeah it's like but does anyone think that parenthood is gonna kill off christina i, I wonder if people like, might have thought that at the not time that much actual fear involved i don't, I don't know. know i had a friend who has been a guest on the podcast who didn't watch it in the past but watches it now who was like does Christina die? Like, could you just tell me? And I was like, oh, interesting. Like, so I think huh. some people maybe did wonder if, if because, you know, there, there would be interesting storylines there. I mean, I'm really glad they didn't do it, but like, it would have been interesting to watch Adam it be like a have, single yeah. dad and stuff like that. And it I, also oddly yeah. reminds me of The Good Wife. If anyone has ever watched that show, I won't spoil it, but a very prominent character Ugh. died in that series. And not from like a long illness or something. It was sudden. And they kept that so well hidden. I heard not a peep about it until it happened. And it happened and you thought, oh, oh, they're not dead. 
boom, yes, they are. They're leaving the show. This character just died in front of you. And it did lead to amazing stories, just the fallout of what do you do when someone you thought you were going to see every day and was going to be a part of your life just isn't. Wow. Ooh, it, it was huge. Yeah. Well, and to speak of other shows, I was just looking this up while Caleb was talking about like she couldn't have won. I was like, wait, Randall on This Is Us runs for something. And I couldn't remember what it was. So I looked it up. It's Councilman and he does win and it does not become a political show. It's like yeah, his job, you know, he's just like working in the background and every once in a while there's like a little storyline with it. Uh, but I will say, I don't know that I was ever very invested in his political career as a storyline. Um, they even sort of, spoiler for This Is Us, but they even like allude to him later going really, really far um, as a politician. But I don't care. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I care about politics, but I guess maybe on storylines, I'm like, I, I'm more interested in the family stuff than what you're yeah. doing when you go to work. And I'm also now realizing it struck me when Max was the only child on stage. I wondered that, like, why? Like, and I, I think I understand why Nora wouldn't be there because although wouldn't it make for a good picture to have her little baby out there? Have Adam holding Nora. Yeah. And then I understand practically why Hattie wouldn't be there. But it, it was one of the first times that I thought, have we not mentioned Hattie at all in yeah. a long time? Yeah. And like, is Hattie even aware that her mom <laughs> is running, running for mayor of yeah. her hometown? And yeah. does she have an opinion on this? I was yeah. going to ask if like, I just, if there was something like a reason why she wasn't there because I haven't watched the previous episodes in a long time. So but yeah, I was like, why is Max the only one up there? It doesn't seem right. <laughs> yeah. And also, and I'm, and I'm now thinking, like, could it have even been turned against her? Like, well, Christina wants to reform education because she says it doesn't work. But her daughter's going to an Ivy League school across that the country been right so now. It, yeah. You know, like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That, but. yes, missed opportunities, man. Or I even noticed, I was like, wow, Amber was just in jail bailing out her fiance with her grandfather, and they both managed to be at this thing afterwards. I don't know. I was like, and Jabbar and Max were there, but not Sydney and Victor. Yeah, even though both of their parents were. Who's watching the? I, there, I had some issues the first time I watched this episode. I was like, the timeline of this doesn't make any sense at all. But when I watched it a second time, at the beginning, they said it's the day before the election. And okay. I thought, oh, okay. I was oddly thinking, like, well, the episode's called Election Day. This is all happening on the same day, and it really didn't make sense to me. But then I realized, no, 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 it's two days. But it still is a little odd. Like, yeah. I believe the first thing that happens on the second day is Crosby and Jabbar go to vote. And then the rest of that day, there's, like, day drinking with the band, Mm -hmm. And Ryan gets arrested. Oh yeah! And is, is Amber just Amber. drunk at this family? But then thing? they still go to the election. Yeah, she must be wasted and very traumatized. <laughs> like yeah, just like, all the she stuff. Was, that's... I guess I didn't even notice she was there. She yeah, I was really distracted by it. I'm like, you should just go home. It's been a day, or maybe go home with Zeke. Like you two should just be like 
figuring shit out. Like Christina will understand. It's been a day. I don't know. I, I thought that was really weird, but. And then like when Crosby bought the vote from Cookie Grass, it looked lightwise like it was still early morning. And I thought it would have been nice if they could have been out like around dusk to make it look like, oh, now it's the end of the election day. Mm. Crosby went back to try and buy a vote because yeah. Jasmine chewed him out. And I, anyway, it was strange. It was kind of bonkers. Well, I could, I could buy Sydney and Victor not being there because I, I feel like different parents would make different choices. Like Crosby and Jasmine are just like, let's take them. And for whatever reason, Julia and Joel are like, let's have my mom, you know, like. She's meal. in Italy. All right. Oh, so and who is watching Julia, them? Julia says when she go, storms into Joel's work that the kids are at her parents, which, you know, could be Zeke watching them. But then Zeke goes to the police station. So at what point did she get the kids back? And oh, now who's watching them? You're totally right. Plot holes. It just it felt a little slapdash. I totally forgot about Camille mm. being in Italy. Yep, that doesn't that doesn't work. That doesn't make sense. Maybe Joel is like... Eesh. Yeah, really, where, like, he's not just like, where are the kids? He's like, where the hell are the kids? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, while we're criticizing, the end with Christina and Caroline from the debate and Emma was very sweet. But I loved it that. also felt a little cloying to yeah. me. <laughs> a little deaf girl telling Christina that she changed her life. You're laying it on pretty thick, Parenthood. I went with it. I was like, oh, it's all worth it. Look at this moment. I don't know. It I, was It was sweet. Yeah, I, I did like that. I thought I thought that was more impactful than her like concession speech, which I felt strangely yes. unmoved by, even though it was a fine speech. I don't know. But I was just like, this does not have any dramatic resonance. But maybe it's because I did not care if she became mayor or not, but just personally. Right. Or if anything, I was hoping that she wouldn't become mayor. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not sad for you. I'm relieved for me. Yeah. I don't want to watch you be mayor. <laughs> Even though I love the idea of Christina having ambitions beyond the home. Anyway, whatever. No. Well, I thought next we would go to Ruby. Oh, yeah. And Max. Irrelevant detail first. Ruby is reading Divergent throughout the episode, which seems like a totally plausible choice for someone who we know used to like the Hunger Games. Yeah. That checks out. Angela, did you read Divergent? Mm -hmm, I did. I did too. <laughs> oh, wow, I didn't. Yeah. You guys have to stay hip with your kids. That's right. Yeah, that's where I get most of my reading choices from, is what the kids are reading. <laughs> well, the real engine of this storyline kicks in in this scene. I have intentions of asking Ruby to be my girlfriend. What? As the father, I thought you should know. Well, well I mean, ho, ho. No, Max, uh, that's not a good idea. Why not? Because she's my daughter. I know, that's how we met. I, why, why do you even want her as a girlfriend anyway? Cause... She was wearing a shark shirt. Yeah. I'm a Sharks fan. That means we have common interests. Also, we're both 14 and I'm a boy and she's a girl, which means she meets all the requirements. You know, Max, come on. She, first of all, she lives in Minnesota. She's moody. You saw what she's like, right? I'm asking her tomorrow. Well, this doesn't seem like a bad idea at all, does it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought this was a fascinating storyline, actually. I thought we do probably need to have 
a conversation about Max and consent, especially in light of him taking the picture of that girl for the yearbook of her crying. Yeah. And she said no, and he just kept doing it. And I, I get that this is not the same thing. And he actually, I was very pleased. He accepted it. Like he accepted her answer, you know, and was very matter of fact about it. But I think I had been worried prior to him accepting it that he would be like, it just makes sense for us to be together. You can't say no, it's what I want. You know, like I really was worried he might say something like that. And I thought this would be an interesting storyline to explore because I feel like I do try to cut Max a lot of slack knowing, you know, what he's dealing with. And and I think I sort of try to be understanding in ways that I might not otherwise be if he didn't, if he wasn't on the spectrum, like to be really honest with you. But consent is something I feel so strongly about that I think if he had not accepted her answer, I would have been pretty furious. That's why it's so important that the adults in his life don't let him down. <laughs> I felt like yeah. Hank was really on the verge of letting him down with, with just telling his daughter to go with it. I was like, horrifying. <laughs> when Hank really let his daughter down. Okay, so yeah. this, I'm going to play this scene. I, the vacillations I went through of like one extreme end of an opinion to the other in this scene. It's a short scene, but I was shocked. I felt like I had whiplash. <laughs> so do you want to be my girlfriend? What? Do you want to be my girlfriend? Um, not gonna happen. Why? Excuse me, I'm doing something. Hey, Ruby, come here for a second, please. Like, just be, like, nicer to him, all right? What? Just, Max, just cut him a break. What are you talking about, Keystone? I'm just saying be a little bit nicer, that's all. Just So be his girlfriend? No. I'm not saying that. Look, he's not going to do anything. He just, he wants to say he has a girlfriend, that's all. That's a... A, it's a guy thing. I mean, you're going to be in Minnesota, right? So what? what's the harm, really? I don't... Come on. I can't believe you. All right. Ruby. I'm calling Mom. Do not call Mom. Don't call Mom. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> so at first, I was with you. I was like, oh, Max took it pretty well. Yeah. Oh, good for Max. Okay. And then Hank started to say something. I thought, oh, no, he's going to pressure Ruby to say yes. But then when he started talking to her, and he just said, be nicer. I'm like, oh, well, I, I guess maybe that's reasonable. I'm like, I guess maybe she was a little harsh. She could have let him down gentler. Okay, okay, that's fine. But then he actually was telling her. I know. Like, we'll oh. just pretend to be his girlfriend. And then I swung right back and I was on Ruby's side and just and as disgusted as she was, and I just, I felt like on a roller coaster. In that <laughs> yeah, if, if what he meant like, by oh, this be... Is okay. Oh, no. Oh, good. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if what he meant was be nicer, like, don't say no by saying, whatever, I'm doing something. Yeah. <laughs> that I get, you know? Exa like, yes. Like, thank you for asking. I'm not interested. You know, like, maybe if that had been the talk, I'd be like, yeah, totally, be, be nicer. But no, 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 no. Like horrifying response. I don't know. <laughs> Did you feel that way too, Angela? Were you like just... Yeah, just like, 
don't lie to people. That's just horrible. And then you're not taking, he's not taking anyone's feelings into consideration. Like lying to Max is not nice to Max and asking his daughter to do something she doesn't want to do is not good parenting in that situation. And I also feel like in that moment, it's Hank kind of just blatantly saying, I care more about Max's yes. feelings yeah. than yours. It's a guy thing. Like, <laughs> a what? Uh, yeah, really. Like this trumps you. Wow, God, you're my father. Yeah, really upsetting. I hated that so much. And I do like that he got it when Sarah was talking to him later. You know, uh, I come here for advice. What happened? I don't get what's wrong. What's wrong? She's not ready for this. And, 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 and Max doesn't, you know... He, he doesn't even know why he wants a girlfriend. He's just checking stuff off a list. You're not ready for this. She's 14 and, you know, it's She's right not ready. Corner. She's not ready, okay? okay. And, and by the way, it's, she thinks he's weird. You know. Of I, course she does. But what did you say to her? She just, you know, she thinks I'm trying to sell her into prostitution. Oh, my or something. God, what did you say to her? I told her, why doesn't she just pretend to be his girlfriend? Because she's going to Minnesota. Oh. She's oh going away. God. There's no harm. There's that's no foul. The he doesn't know. That's the worst advice. Of, of course she's upset. I, I don't you think see, You told her to lie to I, Max. To be nice, not lie. That's be not nice. being nice, though. It teaches her that you lie to get out of a tricky situation. And anyway, for him, you know, he's going to have to figure out you don't have a girlfriend just because you say you like her. She has to like you back. It's a two-way street. Ah, <laughs> oh, you're right. Oh, girls are the worst. Huh? I said thanks, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. All right. You should really lock this, okay? There's a weird guy. I saw a coyote. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way Ray Romano didn't just ad-lib that. that. I saw a coyote. Case in point of why I'm not always a fan of Hank, but boy, I love Ray Romano. He's a great actor. Yeah. That's so funny. But... Especially the bit about Max has to understand that you don't get a girlfriend because you say someone is your girlfriend or that you like them. They have to like you back. It's a two-way street. It sounds like such an obvious thing to say, but that's when Hank's like, oh God, you're right. And I'm like, someone had to point that out to you? Like, that's real basic stuff. But I don't know. Yeah. I also want to note Sarah didn't appear in this episode until 20 minutes into it. I noticed that. Well, what did you think of Hank's talk with Max? I just want to talk to you about Ruby for a second. She already said she doesn't want to be my girlfriend, so it's done. Yeah, no. I know that. What I wanted to say was uh, having a girlfriend, it's more than just being the same age and... And liking the same hockey team, it's more than that. Then what is it about? Yeah, what is it about? It's um, it's about feeling stuff, you know, uh, like on the inside, making a connection, I guess, making each other laugh, having conversations. What if it's hard? Conversations. Well, believe me, it's hard for everybody, not just you. It's, you know, and screw the people that it comes easy to, because that's it's not real. Look, me, I, I didn't have a girlfriend until college, late college. Point is, 
It's gonna happen for you, Max. Trust me. Guys like us just gotta take time, you know? Don't need to rush it. Okay? Okay. Can I go back to work now? Yeah. Sure thing, Max. I think that they are making Hank seem maybe more sympathetic than he did in season four. Because I, I went back and I watched parts of season four, episode two, and I took notes. Because I first thought was very um, struck by this conversation with Max. And I thought it was really beautiful the way that he was saying, I don't always have such an easy time talking to people, too. It's it's hard. But when he said that he didn't get his first girlfriend until late college, something like spiked in my memory. Prob, right? Right. And so I took notes of what he said to Sarah in episode 402. Oh, my God. Somebody did not get invited to prom. No, I did get invited to prom. No. That's right. I was prom king. No, you weren't. I was prom king. I got laid the whole deal. All right? You know why? Because I was cool. I drove a Honda CX500. I listened to the dead instead of disco. I I sold pot out of the back of Joey Nichols' car, and we made a lot of money, and my mother never even met my girlfriends, much less gave me dating advice. Unless he was lying to Sarah, which I don't think he was, I think they are sort of retconning the character to make him more likable. (laughs) Because he said horrific things (laughs) when he was first on, uh, where he recommended that Drew get over his breakup with Amy by sleeping with Amy's best friend. I mean, there are reasons that I have been like, very anti-Hank. And I feel like if this were the guy we were getting all along, where he was saying, it's hard for guys like us, I'd be like, oh, Hank, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? And so that's why I was like, not sure what to do with this information, because I loved this speech and I thought it was beautiful. But I also was like, this is not who you were when you first came on the scene. And I feel like it's the writers oh. deliberately deciding to go in a different direction with your character. Gotcha, because I did not remember any of that. Yeah. I didn't in the moment, but once you started down the path, I was like, oh, I see where you're going. Yeah, I thought that was so interesting. And I, I think you are right. If we were in a court of TV opinion <laughs> and I had to defend the show, I think what maybe what I would say is perhaps Hank is redefining what girlfriend actually means in this moment. Maybe he didn't date someone that he actually cared about until late college. And so he's saying, well, I had girlfriends, but not a girlfriend who mattered. But that's a very slippery (laughs) interpretation. (laughs) And also I feel like they do just paint very different pictures of, I mean, if he has a hard time talking to girls, I don't imagine that he'd be great at hookups, but not good at relationships. Like, I think you'd be bad at all of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Unless you're so cool that you can kind of get away with, because like, you know, high school. Or just that insane Ray Romano sexy looks. You know? <laughs> I just mean, such I am, a fox. I am surprised that, that how like attractive I think he is on parenthood. Like it's, he's not my type at all, but Me I. Me too. But if I just looked at still images with no personality, <laughs> I wouldn't no. be like, yes. No, he has to sort of sell it. Yeah. He's got to make a coyote joke or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. 
I, I felt bad because it kind of took away from that being a really sweet speech, which on its head, like just, just taken at face value, it really is. But I was so distracted by how out of like, like how contradictory it was with previous, you know, depictions of who he was growing up that I was like, I think that they are just deciding to do something different with his character and they're writing towards that and away from what they did before. Did yeah. they plan to have him on the show that long? I don't know. Because maybe if they didn't, that's that's the reason for that too. They did write him off at the end of season four. They had him, you know, move to Minnesota and then he came mm-hmm. back. And so maybe they just thought, wow, he wants to come back? Okay. <laughs> we got to soften him because Melissa Fight Johnson <laughs> hates him. <laughs> oh. Do you remember having such strong opinions when you watched initially? I remember loving Mark uh, Jason Ritter even then. And I was really disappointed in all this. But I do not think I picked up on certain nuances. Like, I don't think the sexist things he said in season four probably bothered me as much. Uh, And that kind of goes along with what I said earlier about voting and stuff. Like, I think I'm just stronger in my opinions all the time. And, And so I think that he probably... A lot of his problematic comments probably went over my head. I th- I think I actually really liked Hank. Uh, I just was sad that his arrival meant Jason Ritter's departure. Yeah. So I think I'm, I'm more curious. upset now. Yeah. 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 Well, let's go over to Amber and the continuing saga, the unraveling, oh, shall we say, yeah. of her and Ryan. Before we get into the tough stuff. Let me just point out a little line that I thought was funny between her and Crosby. They're talking about Adam's antiquated filing system. And Crosby says, Adam does everything the old-fashioned way. He could ride a horse to work if he would. (laughs) And I think we all know what horse he would ride. Sanctimony pony. (laughs) The old sanctimony pony. Any excuse. I actually loved Crosby in the scenes with the band and Amber in this episode. I feel like I was hard on him earlier. And I do want to say he was very sweet to like call in Amber. And he was funny joking about Adam there. Yeah. So I did like yeah. that. Yeah. He was hard on Adam in this episode, though. He said, <laughs> Adam's really white and Adam's really old fashioned. And when Cookie Grass says that Christina had the violent husband, Crosby goes, yeah, he's a liability. He did not. <laughs> no. <him> <laughs> That's true. (laughs) Oh, no. He totally should have been like, well, these are reasons why you shouldn't vote for Bob Little. He totally blew that out of proportion. Here's what really happened. But instead, he just says, he's alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, Amber and Ryan, things have been not looking good for a while. And they're not really looking up in this episode either. Are you mad at me? No, I just bummed. You know, I got all that food and everything. No, not, not about that. I feel like ever since we dealt with the ring. No. I don't know, like a little distance. <laughs> no, there's nothing about the ring. We've already dealt with that. And it's it's fine now. It's. I know, but I, I just, it feels like you took it really personally. It like not. I didn't no. like it. It's not even worth talking about. I'm happy. It's great. I'm just, I just missed you. That's all. I just miss you. Okay. No, okay. I'm mad. Okay. I promise. Okay. I promise. I just really missed you, you know? I miss you too. Mm-hmm. Hey. What? Um, there was one other thing I, I wanted to talk to you about real fast. What? Wait, wait. What? Um. Are you, are you taking those, those pills again? 
What? I was doing laundry and I, I, I was putting some of your stuff away, babe, and I, and I saw that they were in there and I just. No, I'm, that's a, I mean, I, it's an old prescription. Well, it's, it's from two weeks ago. Yeah, I know. I, I, I haven't. They haven't stopped it, but I. It's, it's an old prescription from before. I don't even need it. Those are anxiety pills that are. Babe, I, I. It doesn't bother me if you take them. I just. I'm not taking them. Okay, okay. I don't even need them. I just wanted. I felt like you were hiding it from me, and I no. want you to know that you don't have to. No, I'm not hiding anything from you. I just didn't want you to be nervous or freak out about it. Okay. Mm. Love you. And she doesn't say it back. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Angela, since you haven't been rewatching the whole thing, what are your like feelings about Ryan or your memory about how you felt about Ryan? You know, based on either this episode, but also like what you remember about him. Like, did you have a very strong opinion about him or their relationship? I don't remember much. I do, like, I kind of forgot about him actually until this episode. And I was like, oh yeah, this guy. I feel like I didn't like him, but I can't really remember. But from this episode, <laughs> it's not I a, think I like him. Not a great episode for Ryan. I, that, I was wondering, because I was like, you could, I think, have some pretty good memories of Ryan based on different episodes. But this one, I was, I, I was actually like afraid of him in a lot of ways, even before the big like punching out Zach. I like lying to Amber about the pills and then refusing to ever admit that he's upset with her, like just being passive aggressive instead, you know, like why not just say we should call each other like and let each other know what's going on. You know, I feel like he just keeps saying it's okay. I mean, my feelings were hurt. I ordered all this food, but it's fine. Uh, we're good. No, I'm <laughs> not upset about the ring. Everything's great. Everything is clearly not great. And she asks him directly, are you mad at me? I found it really uncomfortable that he just couldn't say I am because that's what's bottling all that up. And later when he hits Zach, I don't think it's just about Zach. I think he's mad. You are blowing my mind because <laughs> you are so right. And it, to hear you say it, it feels so obvious, but I wasn't pinpointing it. And And it makes sense if he's like using Amber in a way as a balm to all of the hardship in his life, which I think he definitely is, if all he wants is to be on a better path, mm -hmm. he might just say, everything's fine, everything's fine. As long as I think about it that way, then that makes it true, which I think is really believable and I think is really tragic. Because yeah. what a what a wonderful thing for him to want. And he should be on that better path. Yeah. Like, I want that for him. But you have to deal with the way things are, not just the way you wish them to be. And and you can't will your problems away. Oh, you're so right. But it's also it doesn't relieve him of any of that responsibility. Right. Like, that's a really deep conflict. Yeah. Because you can't just demonize him. He's his own biggest victim. Yeah. But it also, he you can't let him off the hook either. Oh, it just struck me as so sad. Amber is thriving at work and like doing exactly what someone her age should be doing. Like, you know, like what a dream to get to do these backup vocals or whatever and, and to do it so well. And that scene with the band telling her like we're choosing it. 
made me tear up. And I'm like, this is beautiful. And if she were in a really healthy relationship, the kind she should be in, he would just be thrilled for her and not threatened by it or not like thinking about how it affected him and her getting home late. He would trust her to be out like celebrating with the band. The the whole thing just broke my heart. I just thought he's making her feel so guilty and I don't think she's doing anything wrong. I mean, maybe it's a little insensitive to not be really specific about what time you're coming home, but those are minor things. You know, those are easy conversations like, okay, I'll, I'll be better about that. But like, it cuts so much deeper than than that. I don't know. It really broke my heart. Yeah, placing all that guilt on on her is not. Yeah, it just doesn't help the situation at all. Like she's gave him an opening to discuss things, and he just acted like everything is fine. So it's really not her fault. She can't fix something if she doesn't think anything's wrong. Yeah, and she does think yeah. something's wrong, but he won't talk about it. So. And it's so funny. I was not, like I said, I wasn't picking up on this. All I was doing actually was cataloging things I thought Amber did wrong. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And one, which you just said, was not calling him at the end. I'm like, I actually think she was in the wrong. I agree. And I do. Yeah. But I agree with you that it's it's minor in comparison to the bigger issues that are going on. Like, yeah, she made a mistake. She should have said, like, where she was and maybe not have been drunk. Yeah, yeah. But whatever. And then also, like, in the scene about the pills, I was so relieved when she finally said, like, I don't care if you're taking them. I just felt like you were hiding it and you don't have to. And I thought, oh, I'm glad that's what you're saying. Because at first it did feel very, like, gotcha and accusatory. And I thought, what if Ryan really needs those pills or really benefits from taking them? I'm thinking, you know, there's stigma against mental illness yeah. and then even further stigma against taking medication to regulate your mood. And it just seemed very unambered to be like, why are you taking pills? Mm. Uh, but then the issue of, Oh, it's hiding them. It makes it seem like he's doing something wrong. Yeah. And maybe you're fine with the pills that feels like Amber. Yeah. But I, I was not seeing the bigger issue. Well, and they showed it was like previously on. And of course, some of it was from quite a while ago that was relevant to this story. And one of them was his big season four finale, like getting her back. And he was like, the pills are under control. Everything's under control. I'm fixed. Everything's fine. Let's get back together. And maybe her finding them makes her think, oh, you said this was under control. What does that look like? What does that actually mean? Does it mean that you are taking them, but not abusing them. And you know what's occurring to me now? Maybe it would have been a better choice for the show to have the pills that Ryan was taking be something that he's abusing. Like, have them be painkillers. Have them be opioids. I I don't understand the idea of someone abusing their anxiety medication. Like, I would believe that a veteran would have anxiety, and I would believe that it's responsible for them to be taking medication for that anxiety. But what if he had a physical injury and they Mm. gave him painkillers and then the injury's done, but he keeps taking them because they sort of numb him to a psychological pain or something. It's like, well, those are pills you should just stop taking. I feel bad being like, Ryan, stop taking those anxiety pills (laughs) that are keeping you sane. You know, like, no, keep taking those. Yeah, that's a good point. Anyway. Yeah, and maybe like, Maybe her concern is this, like, there's more going on here. And you said you weren't taking them anymore because you didn't need them. But you have enough anxiety now that you need them and you're not sharing that 
information with me. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that I think is a valid concern because that's not shaming him for his anxiety. Right. right. It's the dishonesty. Yeah. I also, while we're chalking up people's bad behavior for the really the first time, I was like, wow, what are the ethics of Zach's behavior? Mm. I, w- I, I was recently listening to two episodes ago when we had Caleb Wakefield on. And he was saying that Ed is a piece of shit. <laughs> it's like, I think Zach maybe is a piece of shit, too, because he knows that Amber is engaged. Yeah. And he seems very flirty. And it seems like in a way that he could justify to himself, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. I didn't kiss her. I didn't ask her out. I didn't. But like when she's clearly going through something, his instinct is to like put his hand on her shoulder and say, I'm sure you didn't do anything wrong. And I'm like, that doesn't feel supportive. It feels opportunistic. And it feels like you trying to like worm your way in. It just didn't. I was like. Don't make a bad situation worse. And I I think you're not as innocent as I bet you imagine yourself to be. Or if like getting her to do the backup vocals is his idea and he's the one convincing Oliver Rome. Like if Oliver Rome on his own, who has no interest romantically in Amber, is like, these are great. And she's been so good to us. And let's save some money. Let's do it. I found that moment joyful. Me too. But then when he was like, thanks, Zach, then I was like, now it's murky because Zach does have feelings for Amber. You know what I mean? Like that's less like beautiful friendship and, you know, work partnership. And it's a little bit more like, are you trying to make Amber indebted to you a little bit or like do something nice so that she'll see you differently? Or, Or are you just like totally disregarding her engagement that's true i mean i do i do think predatory behavior can come from very cute boys doing nice things you know like it doesn't always look a certain way and so that is interesting and i might not go so far as to be like he's a piece of shit it's like (laughs) "Mm, don't do that just don't do that yeah i definitely was like feeling like he was trying to like get some some kind of brownie point reward in there somewhere because like he's sitting there while she's singing he's the only one in there just like yeah yeah, it's not the rest of the band rocking out and like and smiling nonstop. yeah and like at first I was like oh yeah this must just be like the guy that like he's the only one in the band so to speak but then I realized that it was like a whole band and was like oh okay well that is kind of weird And then he does kind of like keep hanging out with her specifically, whereas the Rome guy, he was like flirting with her, but he was flirting with like everybody and just being like kind of a rock star guy. So, yeah, 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 I I do. I think that he's being a little wormy. Yeah. He wields those dimples like weapons. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's so interesting, because then, of course, Ryan is is absolutely wrong in his actions but the the way he feels that uncomfortable feeling he it's like he senses something is wrong and he he is right about that but then of course a healthy reaction would be amber i trust you i feel like this guy is a little inappropriate with you and maybe just you know i don't mean to overstep you're smart. <laughs> I just wanted to point it out to you. And now maybe you can observe his behavior and tell me what you think. I, I, you know, I that would, yeah. Cause I think the big missing piece in that, cause I think you're right. But the big missing piece in that is Amber's behavior. And I don't feel like Amber has really crossed a line with Zach 
at all. I like, I think he's flirting with her, and I think she's just being polite back. But I don't think she's really encouraging it, to the point that I think she may be oblivious to it. I think so. I And so, yeah, I agree with you. Like, if, if he wanted to bring it up with her, not as judgment of anything she's done, but as a concern he's having... I think that would be totally fine. I think that's how you handle it. Yeah. And I'm like, if he has any feelings that she could be slipping away from him somehow, I don't think like going in and just playing like, well, I'm just going to beat the shit out of this guy. (laughs) It's going to make her like make you win her back or win her, you know, like, I don't know. Like, and I know like part of it is just like blind rage. Like once he's there and he's already upset and he's in that place It's not an excuse. He shouldn't do it, but that's part of it. He's just not thinking, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that is chilling. It's not just that he, you know, punched Zach. It's the repeated. Yeah. And it's like a a look on Matt Loria's face. It seems like he's gone. Yeah. He's in another mental space. Yeah. He has checked out. It's really disturbing. He's treating Zach the way he treated that, um, fellow soldier at that funeral when they got into the fight. But in that case, that guy was like making fun of their comrade who had just died by suicide. And, and I'm not saying it's justified, but I felt like all that anger was not as concerning to me in that moment. Like, like I wasn't like Amber red flag, get away from him. I mean, I think I did think, Ooh, that is troubling, but understandable given the horrible comments this dude's making about a guy who's dead. And a very heightened situation already. Right. This is like, oh no, it's a pattern. And this was not at all deserving of of that. I mean, even if it's, even if Zach is overstepping, as we're saying, this is not how to handle it. And, And he must know, like if he were being logical, Angela, you're absolutely right. He he's got to know. Well, this is not how to endear myself to to. Right. So he's not thinking. He's just like reacting, and that's mm-hmm. troubling too. Yeah. I but I I really wrote down. I was like, okay, get away from him now. Like I I was like, that would be my deal breaker moment. I'd be like, and we're done. Like I really I I mean I or at least I'd want to. I don't know if I really could, but I think that would be the moment I knew this won't work that that if I were Amber I might not even leave yet but that would be when I would start to understand no there's no future here I even put after their scene about the pills before the thing at the end in my notes I put the writing is on the wall for them now isn't it yeah it really it's like if I had never watched this before I think after that scene I'd be like this is we're watching the de-evolution of this relationship there's not going to be a salvage point down the road yeah. And then the end of the episode happens. And just, nope. No. Yeah. It was uh, really awful to watch. And I really did feel scared of him. Well, speaking of devolving couples. Woo! You got a text from Ed Brooks. Oh. You guys have been texting each other a lot lately. Yeah. Sustainability committee is taking over my life. Do you want some tea? No. I'm good. Ooh. Uh, did you guys notice that you could read the text message? Like, it popped up? I did notice it was an enormous, like, 90-years-old font. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a font for a 90-year-old the size. I didn't read it, though. So I wrote it down. Uh, it says... Thanks, pal. 
Oh, you're welcome, pal. Ed's text. Hope you're feeling okay. Call if you want to talk. So it's not like, hey, sexy, <laughs> but it's not sustainability meeting at three, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, oh. I did think it was interesting that Joel wasn't like going through her phone or anything. I mean, although you could, I suppose, debate the ethics of something dinging and even just looking at it, you know, like, like, oh, that's not my phone. But I will say he doesn't like open it up and start going through her stuff. Yeah. That is what appears on the screen. And maybe mm -hmm. it's just natural. You hear a ding and you look. But um, anyway, I don't know if I have a strong opinion about that. I just thought it was interesting that essentially... I think he catches her in a lie because she acts like the only reason Ed Brooks is texting her a lot is to talk sustainability. I don't know. Well, they have that scene outside of the bathroom where she's waiting and he's very like interested in what she has to say. Then they get, she gets that text and then she just wants, so, I mean, she's a control freak, but she just wants so badly in that moment to talk to Joel and he's not available because he is working. I, if I were Joel, I'd be a little bit pissed too. But if I were her, I feel like I'd be a little pissed if he didn't answer my call at least once. Like, especially when I walk in and he's just eating some sushi and having a good old time. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. don't think they were having a family crisis like she was making it out to be. Kids are get upset about stuff and that they don't like, and it's you can deal with it. But yeah, she's I think she's got a little bit of a guilty conscience there. Interesting. That's a really good point. Something we've talked about before and lately is what someone chooses to keep from someone or not. And, you know, here clearly Julia has been texting Ed a lot and not telling Joel about it. Mm -hmm. And I think even if there was no attraction between them, the fact that she keeps it to herself makes it seem like there's something she doesn't want him to know about. If she had been telling Joel for weeks, you know, Ed Brooks and I have become really good friends and He's going through a similar work situation, and I feel like I can really talk to him about it. You know, then it's just way less suspicious, but she's right. not doing that. Yeah. And then in this moment, when she gets confronted about it, in a pretty innocent way, like you said, Melissa, he, he wasn't digging through her messages. Mm -hmm. Then she she clearly lies about it. it. Just makes it seem like something's going on. Yeah, I think that if she just could say, yeah, he, I he's a friend. I, I've uh, Because... What he wrote was something that a friend might write, you know? I mean, obviously it's also something that could be more insidious and I think it is, but if it were innocent and she just said, yeah, he's a friend, then I don't even think Joel would have that reaction to that text. I think he'd be like, well, that's what a friend would do. Are you okay? You know, like basically. Yeah. And I hadn't connected that to what happened later, but I think you're right, Angela, because even if she thinks she covered it, even if she thinks Joel is not onto her, she knows. Mm-hmm. And she must feel guilty about that. I'm sure that factors into her behavior later in the episode. Yeah. I kept thinking that if if this were the first season of this show, I think I would be on Julia's side a lot more. Like, I think that I would be really upset seeing Joel just laughing with his boss and eating sushi and 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 having a good old time and ignoring his wife's messages. I think that's how I would see it. But boy, when in the context of this is season five, 
and Julia was absent constantly and work came first for her. When he says to her, like, it was about the work when it was your work, I was like, oh shit. You know, and so anyway, I don't mean to get ahead, but I just thought this is an interesting thing where I think I might see the situation completely differently if we were dropped in right now for the first time. Yeah. Well, let's discuss the work confrontation. Oof. Hey. Hi. What, what, what are you doing here? Can I talk to you? Okay, what, where are the kids? Are they? They're at my parents. Can I talk to you, please? Nothing's an emergency. Nobody's bleeding, but I would like to talk to you. And I've called you five times, and no, I've texted you. That's my fault, because I've been told. You know, this is not about you, Pete. Julia. OK, I will. May Julia. I talk to you, please? No, no, you're fine. You're fine. Please, stay. Julia, I'm working right now, and we will talk about this when I get home. I'll see you whenever that is. What did you guys think of that? I remembered some scene of Julia showing up at Joel's work, but I didn't remember the details. And so when they, but when they were eating sushi, I was like, oh, this is it, this is it. Mm-hmm. It's like the dishwasher. You just yeah, it, you it was. And I, I, it's funny. My memory of the Joel Julia struggles in this season was that I was mostly on Joel's side. In this episode, at this point in time, I was more on Julia's Interesting. side. Interesting. Which is not to say that I think she was blameless. Far from it. I think they were both at fault. Julia's clearly not making the best choices. But I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with her showing up to try and talk to him. Mm-hmm. Her tone, especially to Pete, yeah. was really not good and not based on anything Pete did in that moment. Mm-hmm. It was like, well, you just took out some frustration or something on Pete, even though all Pete was doing was trying to like take the blame yeah. for Joel's unavailability. But I I felt like Joel's treatment to Julia was like a parent to a child. Like he was refusing to reward her bad behavior, which there may be some logic to that. Like if I give in to Julia now, I'm just going to teach her that this is an acceptable way to get my attention. But I think he should have stepped outside and spoken to Julia, which was all she was asking for. You know, she wasn't saying come home right now, especially if he wanted to save face in front of Pete. Get this situation out from in front of your boss. Mm-hmm. Go deal with it privately. But putting his foot down in that moment, I felt like was him saying, unless the kids are bleeding, I don't consider whatever you have to say to me important enough to pause what I'm doing. I'm like, that's not going to help the larger situation. And if I were Julia in that moment, I would feel completely abandoned. And it also, I thought, I wasn't thinking about the guilt with the text, which I, I now I'm thinking must have factored into it. But there was also that scene with Victor where he yelled at Julia on the steps and he's like, you said I was smart. You're a liar. I thought that's the kind of stuff Joel is not there for. Yeah, and that I, is I just true. felt some compassion to Julia. I don't know. I feel like Joel has a little bit of an attitude of like, well, if things are bad with Victor, it's your fault because you thought we should keep him back. Mm. Like, you can't tell your wife, you made this bed, now lie in it. Mm-hmm. That's not being supportive. But anyway, that was my thoughts on that scene. I think that is really the scene where I would think if we were just dropped in, why won't he just go talk to her? But really, I can't stop flipping it. And, and Joel even does it at the end of the episode, you know, where you know, I gave you nine years, I championed you for nine years, you can't give me three months. That's all I could think of. I was like, Julia would have lost 
her mind if if the reverse had happened. And I'm glad he True. said that. He was like, you talking to Pete that way is the equivalent of me talking to Leon Dengraff that way. I would and and like I can't even I can't even picture that scene. I can't imagine yeah. Joel showing up and doing that. And she did have this air of entitlement of like, well, I tried to call you five times. Well, maybe you're not entitled to speak to him at any moment you so wish. I mean, yeah, if he's at work and these are regular working he's hours. He's unavailable. Yeah, and and I mean, I just imagine the reverse miss must have happened so often. And maybe you get into that fight when he comes home. Like, hey, that's not fair. Don't let me call you all day and you never check. Like, you've got to check. We need to have a conversation about what this needs to look like. I realize you're at work, but I was losing my mind. And I think it's also fine if she shows up and says could we please talk privately out here? But like, she kind of comes in guns blazing. She's like, I need to talk to you. And I think he really loses his cool when she snaps at Pete. And that's when he's like, I am working. And I I think that's when he's like, I absolutely can't give her what she wants. Yeah. And he's also kind of trying to save face. Like, I'm sorry, my crazy wife just (laughs) threw the door and interrupted what we were working on. Like maybe he doesn't, he doesn't want to establish it that that's going to be a regular thing because he's concerned about his job. That's embarrassing. I would be embarrassing for a man or a woman, but like there's an interesting like undermining masculinity, like, and Joel is usually very cool about that. You know, like you stay at home dad for years and years. I don't think that that's something that really concerns him, but I think that might feel a little like, and maybe I don't need to bring gender into it at all. I don't, I don't know, but yeah, it's embarrassing no matter who you are. I will say though, Something that Julia says later that I feel like Joel is not really responding to. She says, we never went through anything like this when you were at home. And I think she's right. Yeah. I think comparing Joel's time at home with their genius five-year-old <laughs> organizing play. I mean, oh, I don't want to say this because now I sound like I'm trivializing it. But I think that situation, home alone with Sydney, is different from being home alone with their 10-year-old son who just got held back a grade and is having massive troubles succeeding academically, and they've only known this son for a year. Yeah. I think that's really different from anything that Joel ever dealt with. And Joel even said it earlier, I think this season, when he was criticizing Julia for making some decision on her own. And she said, I'm sure you saw plenty that I didn't see while I was working and you made decisions without okay. even consulting me. Yeah, PB&J or tuna fish, ballet or karate, nothing like this. Nothing like this ever came up. So by his own admission, yeah. she is dealing with more than he ever dealt with. And I think she's saying, you know, I'm not, not letting you go back to work. I need you because something major is happening and you're just absent good point when there was a family crisis while julia was still working what did she do she quit her job yeah well let me play this because i had another revelation about this but let me play their last little fight i was trying to right. deal with victor and he's so upset yes he's so that's, upset that's the I position like you you're wanted to be in there i'm not there for victor i feel like you're I am not there for even him. there i'm there for sydney what more do you what about How me what about you? i needed you in that moment what about i felt like you? i was drowning and i could not get a hold of you god and you're just having casual sushi how could you do that to me how could you do you, that to me? I could not get a hold of you. I never would have walked into your office with Leon Dengraff and talked to him that way. I never would have done that to him. I never would have done that. Oh, this I never is not about the work. Him that way, I never would have treated you that way. It's, that could have cost me my job, Julia. 
So nine this years. is about I give you nine years. Victor. I I, I championed you for nine years, and you can't give me. You can't give me three months. This is not about the work. It's not. This is about this is about a family it was crisis about the, that is happening It was about the work right when now. you were working. It was about the work when you were working, and I was there for you. I supported you. you. I worked over every deposition you had. I was there to champion every trial, every trial. I'm sharing in your joy on this project, Joel. Right. But we're it going really through a family shows. crisis right now. Okay. Okay. And I well, feel like you're not well, there. I'll be there. I'll go solve it right now. Tell Christina I'm sorry. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't be here for you and there for our children. What I realized on my second watch is what a good fight this is. And I don't mean good like productive because I think it's the opposite of It's productive. a terrible fight in that regard. But in terms of authentic for a couple who doesn't communicate well, I realized these two characters are engaging in two different fights. Mm-hmm. Joel is upset because he feels like his long-term sacrifices for the family are unreciprocated by Julia and that she has never valued his work as highly as hers, which I think is true. Is probably true. And Julia is upset because she feels like Joel is absent in the middle of a family crisis. And neither is really addressing what the other is saying they're just shouting past mm-hmm. one another. And it's like, oh, that is what people do all the time. They're not even upset about the same stuff. Yeah, that is such a good point. And then it's like, well, how is it ever going to get resolved? You're trying to solve for X and he's trying to solve for Y. You're never going to solve it. That's insightful as hell. You're totally right. And by that definition, I think they're both right and I think they're both wrong. You know, I keep True. I keep looking at it like who do I think is more right? And it's just like that's probably not a very productive approach to looking at this storyline, actually. They're both making mistakes and they're both not hearing each other. I think it's more resonating with me, Joel's concerns, because I do think that she has always taken him for granted and that he has done so much. And I think it totally makes sense that he would be this frustrated, you know, like, wow, when it's my turn, you really don't come through. But I do think maybe she would be coming through if it was still just Sydney and the the situations they used to have. I think she could probably be handling that. Although maybe not because that one episode from like season two, when they were both working, it was falling apart and it was just Sydney. And and yeah. Yeah. Well, and I do think that, his issue is much longer term. Yeah. He's upset about something, like he just said, that is nine years in the making. Yeah. I think she's upset about something that hopefully a year from now, maybe even a few months from now, just won't be an issue. Yeah. And then she's maybe not seeing the bigger picture. Like, just give it a little time, Julia. It sucks right now because you are right in the middle of it. But maybe you just have to endure it a little bit. When, like Angela, you said earlier, yeah, kids get upset about stuff. And I don't think you said that to be like callous to kids being upset, but that what happens after that is, and then they get over it and they move on. Like, yeah. It, it sucks while it's happening, but it's not forever. Right. And he'll, you know, he's a teenager-ish and he's he's had a hard life and he has people who care about him, but... For him, it's hard to see, like, that this is a good thing. 
and that he is a smart kid and that he just does need some help. And so he's embarrassed. And so who do kids lash out at the most when they're embarrassed, but the people they feel the safest with, which is usually the mom um, or the dad, but a lot of times it's the mom. And so, and then the mom has to deal with all that. And so she's like, well, this sucks a lot because Joel's not here to get yelled at and beaten down and know what to say. And, and so she does feel alone, but I also think like, Julia, sometimes you make a bigger deal out of things and you really need to make a big deal. That's true. And you know, she says, we, we mentioned a few episodes ago, just insecurity. I think her insecurity is really cutting her off like at the knees because she said, I felt like I was drowning and feel how you feel. But I actually think she's doing a fine job yeah. if she could yeah. just convince herself of that. I mean, I think she thinks things aren't okay unless Victor is happy and smiling. This is day one yeah. of right. him in the new classroom. This is right. going to be probably the worst day. You have to give yeah. it more than 24 hours before you just go, oh, this uh, this is not working. I'm failing. You're doing fine. So maybe that means Joel should have his phone on for day one. You know what I like, or maybe even take day one yeah. off so that he can be available and, he can be and available. they can hang out together. Not saying that he should, but that. Although Joel was there at the school. That's so he true. did make yeah. some time. I am, you know, I'm mostly on Joel's side, but I keep trying to be really fair and not just rant. <laughs> and so I did yeah. want to say, was it a sweet thing for Victor to take him into the bathroom so that he could get away from those kids who were like laughing at him? Or was that sort of a way to cut Julia off because obviously she can't go into the boys' bathroom? I I wondered. It looked like an all gender restroom, actually. Did it? Because oh. it, it had both um, Whoa. logos and it had a handicap thing. So I think it was a handicap restroom. Blow in my mind. I really didn't even notice that. I just assumed that she felt like, well, now I can't go in there. Oh, here's Ed. <laughs> like, that was like, <laughs> yeah. I felt like it was probably more just to chill both of them out because she was like being like kind of intense and he was trying to deal with it. And so I think he just went in to give him a little pep talk or whatever. But one thing I was going to go back and say about Julia too is she's so much always like a perfectionist and in control and so I think that's why things are more intense or why she feels like she's drowning because she can't make him happy mm. like you just can't like remember I don't remember which ep- it was the episode where she's trying to get Sydney to go swimming oh, yeah. with her yeah and Sydney was like freaking out and it all she wanted was to have her be as happy as she was about swimming and it was not yeah. happening and she like she was just so upset and overwhelmed by that because how could Sydney not feel the same yeah. way yeah. and she wanted to fix Zeke's financial problems right. and she wanted to get Zoe a GED and she yeah she wants to just it's her she's like applying her own problem solving methods that she fixes her own problems with to other people and never realizing that like maybe people have their own methods (laughs) of dealing with these things and you can't impose yours on other people she's also taking complex feelings and simplifying them by doing that Yeah. yeah this feeling is a problem I need to solve right oh I think it's just something that Victor is going to feel for a while. Yeah. Until he gets through it. Yeah. Yeah. 
And same with her. I think then she feels this anxiety in the moment of, oh, Victor's upset. I'm drowning. You're not. That's this plan. Right. Maybe succeeding. You just have to wait it out a little. Go have a glass of wine. Your kids are old enough to hang out by themselves and you've sent them both to their rooms. So just, yeah. <laughs> just sit there and you try Joel once or twice, maybe. But like, if he doesn't call you back, be like, I will talk to him later. Um, I just need to. And, and don't then turn to Ed Brooks and instead confide in him. Call Sarah or your, one of your brothers or your dad or, you know, or like write in your journal or watch trashy TV. But like, you, you know what? I, it, it's like she either has to talk to Joel or she has to text Ed. And I'm like, those are not your options right now. Joel's at yeah. work and Ed is a dangerous road. Um, and, <laughs> you know, so I, I think that's a problem too. her feeling like Caleb earlier, you were like, feel your feelings, but... And that's absolutely it. Like we, we should feel our feelings, but we should also be able to regulate our feelings sometimes. And, and, you know, like this is a hard sucky situation and, and he is, you know, Julia is getting the brunt of it and that sucks. And I think absolutely talk to Joel about that, but don't create more problems. I mean, how much of this whole Victor situation is made worse by the fact that she and Joel are really fighting and not getting along. If they could be a united yeah. front on this, then this would just suck, but they'd be there for each other. And I think that a lot of the reason that they're fighting is, is Julia. I really do think that. <laughs> and so yeah. that's hard. A smaller issue, but a, an observation I wanted to make. I used to think on my previous watches that Sydney was a little brat all the time. And in this rewatch, I've been like waiting for it to show up. I'm like, wait, when does Sydney become just insufferable? I thought she was just horrible. And she seems to always be like, oh, no, 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 this is okay. This is okay. Here we got it. This is the brattiness <laughs> I remember from Sydney calling out behavior that everyone can plainly see for themselves, <laughs> keeping tabs on other people's punishments, whining. Her catchphrase basically being, that's so unfair. <laughs> I just like okay this this oh it was just awful <laughs> how old is she in this like how old is she in this episode she's actually in fourth grade because they keep saying like Victor's like I don't want to be in Sydney's grade and so aren't you like nine okay. probably I would guess yeah. okay I was thinking she might be slightly older than that because she has like in this episode she has the air of a 12 or 13 year old girl just like everything is horrible <laughs> everybody she is gifted like if that Victor said the s word no dessert right <laughs> Shut up. It's funny. You worry about you. I'll worry. Victor can worry about Victor. I mean, it really didn't drive me that crazy, even though I agreed that it wasn't acceptable behavior, but I did find it very believable behavior. I was like, that's probably what a sibling would be doing, especially if all the attention was on the other sibling, as it often is, really. The, the, The time I thought Sydney was insufferable was when she was like your mom doesn't even love you and then he threw the bat at her that's when i'm like and sydney um horrible (laughs) this one i was like well keeping tabs on behaviors that seems that's very sibling it sucks but i it didn't incense me like saying your mom didn't love you (laughs) i was like 
<laughs> no, <laughs> horrible. So anyway. Well, before we wrap up, I just wanted to play one little moment additionally that made me laugh. I knew Drew was gonna have this like cool, hip, young, pretty mom. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Does go. Drew know? <laughs> Give you the money later. Please. Oh, please do. Uh -huh. Yeah, you owe me for that. I loved that. That's true. That was just a little scene. That was like a storyline in and of itself of just a scene, like just checking in. I did want to say, not trying to sound judgmental about Natalie and Drew's arrangement, but just genuinely confused about it. I'm like, if you are casually sleeping with someone, do you then accompany them to family events, which she has done like twice now, the, you know, the, the luncheonette recording and now this, and then say it's casual, which basically announces to everyone, like, cause it'd be different if you were like, oh, we're just friends. <laughs> we're fucking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'd be different to just be like, we're just friends, you know? And then they're like, oh, okay. Which I think I would say if I were having like a casual thing with someone, I think that's what I would tell the family instead of it's casual. Like I'm sleeping with your son, but I'm not making him any promises. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know. It just like, I was like, what's everyone supposed to do with that? I, it didn't bother me really. I just found it so puzzling. And I, I did. I thought it was yeah. funny. I was just like, why, why not just be like, oh, we're friends and save all the questions and weird reactions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I thought maybe it was like an interesting thing actually, because Natalie in an earlier episode said that she, um, was so good in high school. And so that's part of why she wants like a casual thing with Drew. She just wants to like let go. And so I thought maybe this is actually kind of funny. Like she's not good at this, you know, like, like <laughs> she's not cool about it. She's like, we're casual, <laughs> like, but she's, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was, I yeah. like that. <laughs> Which, that's yeah. funny. You're really peeling the onion that is Natalie. <laughs> Thank you. No stone, you know, no stone unturned. So. Well, as I said at the top, I, I felt like nothing in this episode was going quite as well, or in some cases, anywhere near as well <laughs> as the characters hoped. Victor's first day didn't go well. Joel and Julia are missing the mark. Jasmine and Crosby. Christina's campaign. Max asking out Ruby. Drew and Natalie. Amber and Ryan. Everyone is striving for something in this episode, and everyone came up short. <laughs> yeah. It was so stressful. I was like, that's, that explains my reaction watching it. I really did feel that way. Anxiety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if there's a lesson in that. Like, are we supposed to admire any particular character? I, maybe Christina. She seemed maybe the most at peace like, with her okay, defeat. Okay, I didn't win, but yeah. it's fine. I, I did some things that I wanted to do. Gwen told me I already won. And I, yeah. I think she's yeah. right. Like, I think maybe just tackling something major and going for something, maybe that really was the thing. And in that sense, I think Max succeeded. Yeah. You know, he he asked her out. She said no. He accepted he it. it. Yeah. Good. That's a lesson learned. Yeah. I don't know if anyone else really learned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just think I want to pick back up for the next episode now because I'm... <laughs> reinvested just again in. just when you thought you were out they pull you back in they pulled me back in i agree like i think this would be an episode that would like if i weren't podcasting it and if i if angela were co-host of parent hippals and said watch this one and i did i'd say the same thing i'd be like whoa this show man except i'd be like 
I don't, do I like Crosby? Didn't I say he was one of my favorite characters? What do I think of Crosby now? Anyway, that, that, that was a takeaway for me. I'm like, I, how is Jasmine married to him? Bring back Dr. Joe. No, I just. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, looking at the air dates, next week is the mid-season finale. Uh, so as much as the shit hit the fan in this episode, someone's going to turn the fan on the next episode or they're going to clean it up. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember. I will say this. This episode did not make me cry once. Yeah. Which is weird because normally I cry like at every episode, but Yeah, me neither. About the only the only part that I felt a little choked up was when Amber and Zeke were in the police station. Yeah, the way she just crumpled when he walked in. Yeah. That broke my heart. Yeah, I didn't cry at this one either. Um I I think I just felt very stressed out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, disappointed. I'm like, the Julia Joel storyline, I think this time around is excellent. Like, I Me too. I think it's one of the best stories they've had. And I remember in the past, Caleb and I have talked about this. I remember thinking it came out of nowhere. It didn't make any sense. And it felt like it was just, like, contrived. And this time I'm like, no. The writing has been on the wall the whole time with their miscommunication and her not valuing him as a, as a worker or like really maybe as a parent, like just taking him for granted. And so it just totally works, but it's very upsetting to watch. I really don't like it. Like makes me feel all icky. Yeah. But they are like such good actors. And I think that every time I've ever watched that show is just how the chemistry that they all have to have in order to like make those fight yeah. scenes just so realistic like that. Yeah. I just love the acting. So good. Yeah. So true. It's crazy that such beautiful people would also be so talented. Because uh-huh. <laughs> even while Julia and Joel were fighting, I'm like, you're both so attractive. But like, <laughs> but they're very good actors. So, I mean, it only distracted me for a moment. And then I'm like in it. But I mean, every once in a while, it, it will just strike me. I'm like, my goodness. Just make it work, you two beautiful people. Um, <laughs> anyway. Well... Thank you again, Angela. Like, it was so fun to have you back on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're welcome. I feel like I didn't contribute as much today, but. Never. It's good to see you guys' faces, though. Good to see your face. You too. (laughs) Everyone, please listen to us. Wait, you're already doing that. Hold on. Please check us out on social media. That's it. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Parenthood Pals everywhere. If you like what you hear, it means the world when you leave a rating or a review on iTunes or if you send us like an email or an Instagram message telling us you like it. It's just like we live off of that, man. Like oxygen. We just love it. We do. You can find all of that info at our website, parenthoodpals.com. Thanks, as always, for listening. And until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.